Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name and mighty in power. And Lord, your word is so good. And as we talk about it today, as we um, meditate on, on how good you are, Father, I pray that you would guide us into truth, that you would guide us into understanding, and that you would guide us into conviction. And Lord, just help us to, uh, to be committed to you in the way that you committed to us. Thank you so much for the way that you treat us and the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I was so excited when I got my topic for, uh, for the workshop, and it's reviving the love of the Word of God. And the reason I was excited about that is because I really, really, really love the Word of God. It's one of my favorite parts of being a campus minister is sitting down with someone who doesn't know a lot about it or, or who maybe has had some misconceptions about God's Word and exploring it with them and finding out and learning from them and they're learning from me and, and having that interaction is the coolest part of my job and I absolutely love it. And I, one of the reasons I think I appreciate it so much is because, and several of you know this, you've, you've been around me, um, but I grew up knowing almost nothing about Scripture. I mean, I was almost a just a clean slate. Like I learned growing up, my, my dad um, was an altar boy in a, in a church. And so um, for some reason, he thought I needed to know the Lord's Prayer. And so I knew that. I said that every night. I didn't know who I was praying to. I didn't know what any of it meant. I just said it every night. And that was the extent of my knowledge of Scripture. I didn't know who Moses was or Elijah was or really who Jesus was. And so when someone opened up the Word to me, I was just awestruck. I mean, I was just amazed by what was in there. I, I really thought, honestly, if someone had asked me, if someone said, you have to tell me right now what is in that book, because we had this big gilded Bible in our, on our bookshelf. It was like, it was so heavy. And I, I don't think it was ever actually opened in my lifetime. And so we had this big gilded Bible. And someone asked me, what is in that thing? I would have said a bunch of stuff you're not supposed to do or you get in trouble because that was my only perception of it. Like this is a giant rule book and if you violate any of the rules, God's going to hit you with lightning. And I thought that's all there was to it. And so I, I really had to learn so much more that was involved in it and learn what it was and what it is, is a love letter. And it's a letter to us. And so we're going to be talking about that. Now, Obviously, it's a class about the Bible, and so I'm going to be sharing a lot of Bible verses. You guys can write them down if you have pens. Um, you can ask me for them later. Um, whatever it is, don't get too stuck on having to look to every single scripture. Look up what you can, um, but um, we're going to be going through a bunch of them, so just pay attention to, to what we're going through and what we're talking about. All right, so when we're talking about reviving a love for God's Word... I think a lot of times we get stuck on the idea that this physical thing somehow is God's word, that, that the physical book, the Bible, that I've got to love this thing and I've got to um, stare at this thing and, and be devoted to this thing. And, and what we forget is that when you say you love God's word, you're really saying you love God, that we're reviving our love for God. Because how can you say you love someone if you don't care about what they have to say? Right? Like that's a, I care, this, this book, this paper, these, this ink is just the, the medium. It's just the, the thing that's holding what I'm trying to find. And that's what God cares about. It's who he cares about. It's, it's what he does and how he acts and how he expects me to act. Right? It's, it's my, it's the essence of how I find out about who he is. It's how I get into relationship with him. And so when I say I want to love God's word, when I say I want to love God's word more, what I'm really saying is I want to learn how to love God better. I want to love, this is how I found, find out about who God is. And so 
That's what I want to find out. That's what I want us to love more. And love has been something that we as a society have had a really hard time defining, right? And I talk about this all the time in our ministry. Our students are probably sick of hearing about it, but it bears repeating, right? When you think about love, if all you had to learn, if you came in from a completely alien culture and you came in and you looked at like our entertainment and you've tried to define what is love, well, then love is something you just fall into and out of. It's something that may happen to you. It may be something that's taken from you. You know, you're, you're told to follow your heart and just do whatever your heart tells you to do. And the Bible says so much against that. It says that that's a flawed definition, that love is a commitment. The Bible says greater love has no one than this. What? Greater love has no one than this. Then you lay down your life for your friends. Right? That's not something, that's not the kind of love that you fall into or out of. If you've got the kind of love where you're going to lay down your life for your friends, that's a love that goes on all the time, right? If you're ready to take a bullet for someone, that's not something you feel like doing one day and you don't feel like doing the next. That's a different kind of love, right? It's not like, I'd, you know, I kind of like that guy, I'll probably jump in front of the bullet today, right? That's an all day, every day kind of love. That's the kind of love he's talking about, like a marriage, right? Like a lifelong commitment. So, what we're going to, when we're talking about, reviving the love for the word. We're going to talk about it like we're building a marriage, right? That's the, the kind of the analogy I want to use. And so we're going to talk about, we're going to start off with the first date. Um, when you start off with a first date, a good first date, right? Because there's really bad first dates, right? Like I, I'll talk to like, I have friends that were servers, you know, and they, they'd get to be, uh, to serve like one of their favorite things was to see first dates that went horribly wrong, that were train wrecks, you know, <laughs> like the, the ones where they're not at all what they describe, like the blind date where they're not what you expected, you know, or, um, you know, where they're just like so tone deaf and they're missing it. And, but a good first date, a great first date, you get that feeling that, man, like I can't believe I'm, I'm with someone so cool and they wanted to be with me. They said yes, right? And there's this awe that's like, man, this is so cool. And you're seeing for the first time some of these things. I was... Um, I had the privilege of knowing my wife, Crystal, for a year as a friend before our first date. And so when I went on our first date, there was so much more I was exploring because I, I didn't know. I knew her as a friend, but I didn't know her as a, as a partner. And so there was all these cool things I was discovering about what it would be like to be in a romantic relationship with her. And there was, I was excited about it. It was awesome. And I think when, if we're going to fall in love with God's word, if we're going to revive that initial love with God's word, then there's got to be that initial discovery. You've got to be able to look at his word as something new, as something you haven't, in a way that you haven't looked at it before. And so kind of try to clear out some of your, your experience with it and, and looking at it as a chore and looking at it as, as something that, that you have to do or else you're going to get in trouble. And, and just go with me to Genesis 1. And we're going to try to, culti- try to inspire a first love, try to inspire an initial love of God because it's, it's got to start with, with just all at what he can do and what his word can do. All right, Genesis 1.1 in the very, very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. All right, and so you have nothing, right? I mean, you look at all this life around us, all this cool stuff in our universe. It wasn't there. You've got nothing. You've got chaos and emptiness, and there's no beauty. There's no life. There's nothing to appreciate about what exists in that moment before everything happens. Right? It's just empty. And then in one moment, in one moment, everything explodes. And of the, over the course of the next six days, 
everything changes. This thing that was dead and lifeless and chaos becomes beauty and creation in order. And it all starts with verse 3. And God what? God said. God spoke. And he said, let there be light. And then he said, let there be an expanse between the waters. And he said, let the, the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And as these words come out of his mouth, as he speaks these words, creation just explodes. That is awesome. I mean, just think about, try to picture watching that. Try to picture seeing nothingness. And then there's this explosion of life and all the colors and all the, the power and the, the raw creation energy that comes from a, a sun forming into life and burning and, and giving life to all these other things in these worlds, spinning off and life springing up on these worlds and, and everything coming at once because God said, because God spoke. There's so much power in that, and I love that. And I look at the power that's in that, and I'm just in awe. And it's like that initial, you know, I, I knew there was a God, and I knew that my dad told me about him, and I knew that, you know, that there were certain things that, um, that he wanted and he didn't want. But to look at God's word and to really understand that this stuff didn't happen by chance, that this creation I see all around me didn't come out of nowhere, but it came because he spoke. That's awesome. And I love that. And I love that his word has that kind of power. And then I really got my mind blown because then I went to John 1 and I want you guys to go there with me. John 1 and verse 1. It's going to start really similarly. It's going to say, in the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning, before all that creation happened, before everything went down and, and all that beauty and life exploded out of nowhere from the word and from the mouth of God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know that because the first thing that happened was the word bursting into action, and in verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Who's it talking about? Who's it talking about? Jesus. That's right. Because it says, um, it says in verse 6, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came to witness, and he came to talk about this guy. And it says that, that when the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us, that was Jesus. That the word, the, the power that created the universe, that incredible, awesome power that made everything possible, that gave us life, that breathed life into our nostrils, that was Jesus. That word that God spoke, the word of creation that God spoke was Jesus. And now he wants to come and live with us and live in us. And when you appreciate that, when you appreciate that this word, the words that God spoke, that we carry around in our hands, has the same kind of power that spun the universe into being. That is awesome. And we've got to appreciate that. If you don't appreciate that, you're not going to treat it with the respect and the concern that it needs to be treated with. We've got to come back, as the Bible says, to our first love. Now, not forget our first love. And this is our guide. This is what anchors us to reality, right? Because anything that says different than this wasn't there. Anything that gives you a different picture of reality than the, the word of God isn't speaking from a place of knowledge because they weren't there. There was only one who was there, and that was God with his word, with Jesus. 
And so it makes sense in Psalm 119, 105, when it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, it says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. This, the prophetic message, the word of God, is completely reliable. And it says, You will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. We are in a dark place. If you are in a dark cave, picture you, you wander into a dark cave. I don't know if you've ever been to like a cavern where there's literally no light, right? Where there's, where you, there's not like a little bit of light, like no, in a setting where there is no light. You cannot see your hand if it's right here, okay? So imagine you go into, you're, you're in this dark cave. You don't know. You're hearing noises. You hear stuff going on. You're hearing like stones skitter along the ground. You don't know if there's a bear in there. You don't know what else is around. And the only thing you have is a torch, right? Like an Indiana Jones, like holding up the flaming torch. That's all you've got in this cave. It's you and the torch and whatever else is in there. Would you just set it down and walk away from it, right? Would you like flip it around and like play with it? Would you, you know, <laughs> would you just like set it down and walk away for a while? Would you get tired of holding it? Would you be like, oh, this thing's so boring, you know, and just throw it on the ground? If that's all you've got, if that's your only connection in this darkness, if that's the only thing that's, that's, showing you what really is there in a setting where otherwise you would have no idea what's really there. You're not going to get bored with it. You're not going to get tired of it. It's your only anchor to reality. It's your only thing that's making sense of anything. You know, when they put people in solitary confinement, you know, when you put someone in a hole, in a dark place, in total darkness for long enough, you go insane. It's proof. I mean, that's that's why it's torture. Because, you know, you think it, it doesn't seem from an initial standpoint, that that would be anything that bad, like that not seeing things would be that bad. But when you go in complete darkness for long enough, you lose your grip on reality and you start doing crazy stuff. You start thinking crazy stuff. You go insane. When we're deprived from our source of light, we go crazy and we start doing some crazy things. And we are in darkness because every day you exist in a reality that you can see and touch and feel and taste, and yet there is a spiritual battle going on around you that you cannot see. And it's real, and it's happening. And so in a way, we are in total darkness. Without God's word, we are in total darkness to this, this battle that's raging all around us. And his word is the only torch we've got. There are threats all around us, attacking us and attacking our friends and tearing us down. And the only torch we've got is God's word. And when we leave that behind, when we set that down, we start doing some crazy things, right? I mean, you look at this world. This world does some crazy stuff. You got people setting themselves on fire. You got people, you know, I'm from Florida. You know, you ever heard of Florida man, right? Where the place where the guy who ate your face off came from, right? Like it's crazy stuff goes on in this world. People start doing some crazy stuff when you set down his word and you lose your anchor on reality. You guys look at, uh, at John 6. Verses 66 through 68. John 6, 66 through 68. You're good. So there comes a time when Jesus is teaching, and in a, he's teaching a huge crowd, and he teaches some hard things. And when it gets hard, the majority of the crowd walks away. They take his words that he's speaking, right? Just like we've gotten here. They take the words that he's speaking, and because they don't like the words, they walk away from them. They leave their torch behind and they walk away. And so he turns to the 12. He turns to the guys who are most committed. 
And Jesus says in 67, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got that that was his, that Jesus was his torch. Like, why would I leave my torch? That's insane, right? Why would I leave it? Because it wasn't like the, I didn't like the grip, you know, or like I, you know, whatever. I didn't like the, the way it was burning. I wouldn't leave that behind. I wouldn't get bored with it. And the reason that Peter understood that is because he set his life up so that he would constantly feel his need for God's guidance, that he would understand God's guidance. And I think one of the reasons that we leave our, our first love behind, one of the reasons that we struggle um, with, with chasing after God's word is that we set our lives up to be as easy as possible and we fill ourselves with fluff and all these things that, that feel like they're filling us. You know you, you know you can be obese and malnourished at the same time. You know, it is possible to be overweight, overstuffed, and yet not have the vital ingredients that your body needs to function. And it is so easy to do that, right? Like how easy, how much easier is it? You know, if I've got to go to the, you know, to Publix, or sorry, the, whatever grocery store is nearest you, and, 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 and buy all these ingredients and put these meals together, or I can go buy Whataburger and grab something in five seconds and I'm good to go, right? Like it is so much easier. And then when you, when you fill your life with all this fluff and all this other stuff that doesn't revolve around God, it is so much easier to chase after the simple things, the easy things. How much easier is it, right? Honestly, honestly, if you've got to spend your next half hour in your room doing something, which is easier, to go through you know, the book of Jude or to watch you know, an episode of House of Cards, right? Like, which one is easier? There, it is so much easier to chase after the easy things and to fill ourselves with fluff. And you can fill up all your time and use, expend all of your energy and feel like you are filling your life with things. You can get involved with every organization on campus there is. right? You can, you can, fill, you can work double overtime and earn as much money as your job will allow you to earn. And you can fill all of your time and feel like you have used yourself to the max and yet be starving on the inside and be completely malnourished spiritually. And Peter didn't do that. He, he, chased, he literally chased after Jesus. He spent every day walking alongside Jesus, putting himself at risk. If Jesus was going to go somewhere where his life was at risk, Peter's coming too. And he may completely screw it up, right? Like he may do a terrible job. If you ever read Peter's story, he says the wrong thing more often than anyone in Scripture and makes more mistakes than anyone else you see. But no matter what, he was going to make those mistakes right by Jesus' side. And he was constantly going to put himself right by Jesus. He was going to cling to Jesus because he knew that was his torch. That was his only hope. And even when he messed up, guess who was there to correct him? Right? Like Jesus was always there to correct him. And so it doesn't matter that he messed up because God was always there. The only time you're really in trouble when you mess up is when you've left your torch behind and you're in the darkness, right? Because then you're only going to make matters worse. You know, if I've got a torch and I can see what's around me, I can react to things. Right? I, can, I can make a plan of action. I can do things in a way that's reasonable and rational and is going to help. If I don't have my torch, I'm going to take off running. And what's most likely going to happen? Face first into a wall. Right, And that's what we do. We get in these situations. We get in this trouble. And because we've forgotten how necessary that relationship is with God, we run face first into a wall and we start doing some crazy stuff. And anyone who had like, imagine if you had like, you know, infrared vision or whatever, you know, if you could see what's going on and they couldn't, their actions would look insane. Like, where you, there's a wall right there. Like, what are you doing, right? But when we've got our torch, we don't do that because we know um, that God's guiding us. And again, in Psalm 119, 
By the way, Psalm 119 has got, like Matthew said, about a thousand verses. It's actually 176 verses, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And the entire chapter is devoted to one thing. It's devoted to how much David loves God's word. The longest verse in the longest chapter in the Bible is about how much we love God's word. And I think there's a reason for that. In Psalm 119, verses one, verse 133, he says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Right? David spent so much of his life completely dependent on God's word. And did he mess up? Absolutely. But even though sin grabbed him every once in a while, God was always there to correct him because he stayed dependent on God's word. He loved God's commands. He was a man after God's own heart. And so when he messed up, God's way was there to light him. All right, so we have that initial date, that initial recognition and appreciation for God's awesomeness, his word and how awesome it is. And then we get, you know, once you get past the first date, then it's got to move. If a relationship's going to grow, you've got to go beyond that. You've got to go into the courtship period, right? And in the courtship period, what do you do? You guys help me out. What are, what are you doing between the first date and, and after that? What's your goal? Help me out. Speak up. Get to know them, right? How are you doing it? Yeah, you're talking with them, right? You're talking. Sometimes you talk on the phone. I hate talking on the phone. Um, but I'll, when I was dating, you better believe I'd talk on the phone for an hour, you know, and, and, and enjoy it. What, are you, what else are you doing? You're talking. What else? You guys got to work on your dating game. All right, so hopefully you're spending time with them, right? Like I hope you're going out with them. You're, you're getting to know them, right? You're, you're sharing experiences together. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When I started dating Crystal, she lived an hour and 10 minutes away. And it didn't matter a bit because I was going to get there. If I had to not eat for a day so I'd have gas money to get an hour and 10 minutes, that's fine. You know, like I was going to get there. I had to make the time. I had to set that up so that it was not left up to chance. I was not going to leave that thing up to chance. Check out Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today, right? The word of God, the commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Court God. Get to know God. Spend time with him. And the best way to spend time with him is to spend time in his word, to share it, to talk about it, to write it down and put it in places where you see it. We've got to make time for God, not to find time for God, not to like go about our day and hope that he stumbles into it. Because this is an important, if you get the first part, if you really are in awe of him and can see the power that he has and the power that he can have in your life and how necessary he is, right? If I see that torch you know, off in the distance, I'm not going to leave it to chance and wonder whether I'm, I'm not going to close my eyes and hope I stumble into it. I'm going to run straight for that thing and hold it up so it lights my way. I'm not going to leave it up to chance. And so we've got to think about what kind of, think about right now, what kind of sacrifices would you have to make in order to make time for God? Do you need to put it in your calendar, right? You got a planner, you know, do you need to write it down and clear out that block so that nothing else will happen? It's amazing to me what we will make time for and what we won't, right? If there's a concert that you are dying to go to, 
right? If you've been waiting forever for this band to come into town, you will move heaven and earth. You will save up for months, right? We will we'll clear out our, our schedules. We'll, we'll miss whatever it is. Like, I'm going to go to this thing because I don't know when they're going to come back into town. Like, this might be my only shot to see them. And we will do whatever it takes to go and see them. And there are other things in our life when we, do we treat God's word like that, right? Do we know, do we make sure that there's time for it? Do we not let anything interfere with it? You know, do we put aside everything else and carve out that time for God and not leave it up to chance? Because I cannot wait to find out more about God. I can't wait to find out, you know, when you're first getting, when you're courting someone and you're getting to know more about them, you know, one of the things I would do is I'd, you know, I had a list of things that I, because I wanted to get stuff for Crystal, right? And so I'd, I'd like have this list and I still have it. And, you know, 12 years later, I'm still building on it and writing, cutting stuff off and, and putting new stuff on. I want to find out what she wants and I want to find out ways to fulfill that for her. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about with God. That I want to know what he wants and I want to find new ways to please him. I want to find new ways to interact with him and, and new things that we can do together. And the only way I can do that is by seeing how he interacted with his people before and seeing what he has to teach me. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, to, to be excited about finding out new things about him. You know, we learn about our need for him and, 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 and that, you know, the Bible says we don't live by bread alone, you know, but that we live by the word of God. How many of you guys are coffee junkies? How many of you guys absolutely need coffee to function, right? Do you know the feeling, the feeling before you get the first cup, right? Where you're just like that, that longing for that first cup where I like, if you know coffee people, you're just as familiar because you know how miserable it is before they get it. But like, but that, that long, like I will not, I can't breathe. I cannot function. Don't expect anything of me until I get this caffeine in me and then I can function. God's, you don't need coffee. I'm sorry. You don't like if, if you like it, that's fine. No problem. You, there are plenty of people that function fine without coffee. There is no one on this earth who has woken up one day and taken in a breath apart from what God willed. Apart from God's power, God's breath, it is literally, his word is literally what animates you through the day. It is the difference between you and a sack of meat and bones, right? Like that's the only reason you are not just a, you know, just in a grave because he breathed into you today. His word animates you. It, it's your, the only reason you're working. And I cannot wait to tap into that. It's the only thing providing me life. You know, if I'm out in space, I'm not going to just, like, take off my mask, you know. I'm not just, like, take off my helmet, like, you know, I don't need this today. You know, like, it, it's the only thing keeping you alive. Anyone who did that, you'd say, you had it coming, right? Like, of course you died. I've got to have God's word. And digging into his word reminds me of how much I need him. I read about things like manna from heaven. I read about things like, you know, Peter walking on water, not sinking as long as he was walking with Jesus. I, I read about... Um, you know, the, the Israelites and being rescued from 400 years of captivity because God opened up the sea and allowed them to walk through it. I learn about how much I need him. I learn about the way he guides me, right? The way he takes me through things. I learn about myself. It says that his word in Hebrews 4.12, it says that his word is sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We get domed up sometimes. We get stuck in our own head sometimes. So we are where we are just completely blind to some of the dumb stuff that we're doing, right? You ever say something and you don't really, you think it's perfectly fine. And then later someone comes and, and like shows it in a different light and shows you how ignorant it was or how dumb it was or how much it hurt someone, right? And all of a sudden you just, you're horrified. You're like, I would never have known that. Like I would have gone on hurting 
who knows how many people saying that same thing over and over again if someone hadn't come to me and told me something different. God's word reveals stuff in us that we're just blind to, that we need help with, and that we're going to go on struggling with if we don't expose ourselves to his word. It helps us discover his will. It helps us to see what he wants. It says that um, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says that... Um, that we shouldn't conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the changing of our minds, like Mackie talked about this morning. And when we do that, he says, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? Then we'll know his will when we dive into his word, when we allow ourselves to be changed by him. And so we've got to have that, that cultivating time, that, that courtship time where we make time for him. In Psalm 119, again, talking about how much David loves God's word. Psalm 119, in verse 44 through 48, he says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts, your, your commands. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your degree, decrees. Meditation, clearing out all the junk and appreciating God for who he is, filling ourselves with his word. That's got to be something we make time for. Or don't be surprised if your relationship with them doesn't go deeper. Or if you don't spend that courtship time, the relationship doesn't develop. And so we've got to carve out that time. Think about what do I need to sacrifice? What's filling my time? What do I need to cut out? And to what lengths will I go to cut it out? So that I can make that time for God. I don't know if it has to be in the morning. I don't know if it has to be in your lunch hour. I don't know if it has to be before you go to bed, which doesn't work for me because I fall asleep, right? Like three verses in, I'm dead. And I wake up, the Bible's on top of me, and i got to run to work, right? And so um, it, it just, whatever time you've got to make, make that time like you would for whatever else it is that you actually love, right? Because that's how you prove what the Bible says where your treasure is, what? Your heart will be also. Look at what are you treasuring? What are you carving out? You're carving out time for something. You're filling your days with something. There is something you make sure you go to. You make sure you go to work. You make sure you go to school, hopefully. Right? Like you make sure you spend time with your friends. You make sure you go to that concert. You make sure you go to that movie, whatever it is. There are things in your life you are carving out time for. That is your treasure. And if God's word isn't one of those things, then we've got to change that. Or else we're not going to be able to really love God the way that we say we do. Because that's what he says. And if we don't care about what he says, we don't really care about him. Right? So we've got to have that initial awe of God. We've got to spend time, make time for him. And then you move on to marriage. Right? The, the commitment. And marriage is not the wedding. It's not all about the wedding. It is not about saying yes to the dress. It is not about you know, spending so much money on your wedding that you're deep in debt and then have financial arguments to the point where you split up. Right? It's, it is, marriage is a daily choice to love someone. The vows aren't just for show. When it says for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, until death do you part, that means in the hardest days when your spouse is the hardest to love, you choose to love them anyway. You don't say, you know, when they're, you know, when they, you know, put on a bunch of weight like I did, you know, and, and, uh, and are annoying one day or sarcastic or, or really hard to deal with, you know, oh, I fell out of love, you know, I guess we're done. You don't do that. You choose to love someone because there are a lot of days. If you read the Bible, right? This is one of the, the great blessings of reading your Bible. When you read the Bible, that we had a, a guy in our church come up and, and he was sharing a communion thought. 
And he said, when you go through the story of God's history with his people, God's history with humanity, the only question you can really ask over and over again is, what is wrong with us? Right? Like, what is wrong with us that when we walk through an ocean on dry ground and see our enemies swallowed up behind us and lose our leader for 24 hours while he consults with God, we create an image of gold and worship it. What is wrong with us that I can come, like, like Carrie said, I can come to a retreat and bawl my eyes out and mean it and see all these things about myself and, self and come home and be completely the same as I was before? What is wrong with me that someone can love me and pour into me and, and do all these things for me and then upset me one time and I wish they were dead, right? Like what's wrong with, as humans, we are such fickle people. We are such difficult people to love. And God has put up with us longer than anyone, right? Nobody even comes close. That's for God to love us. Think about what that means. That means in our ugliest points, he still loves us. He still cares about us. And so in our love with each other, it's got to look like that. That's what marriage is. It's every day choosing to love someone. And when we talk about loving God's word and sickness and in health for better, or for worse, for richer, for poorer until death, do we part? It means we don't get tired of it. It means that when we get a, a great job that we prayed all this time with God on and we sought his word for guidance, and then we get the job. We don't fill our time with that job to the point where we don't spend time with God anymore. It means when we pray that we'd find someone that we could be with that's a godly person and then we find that person and we're, we're so excited about dating them and, and all this stuff and courting that relationship that we don't leave God by the wayside for that. Right? We don't. It, does, it means that when things go horribly wrong and we have trouble in this world, which God promised we would have, that we don't leave him behind and say, why did you do this to me? It means no matter what our circumstances are, we continue to love his word and chase after it and spend time with him. I can't, I have a wife, I have a family. What would you think of me if I just walked away from that for two weeks with no explanation? Right? If one day I just didn't show up home, I went to work and I didn't come back for two weeks, and I show up at the door, I'm like, hey, honey, what's up? <laughs> Right? Like, wham! <laughs> you can't do that. You can't just walk away from the most important relationships, the commitments in your life for a couple weeks, and then just come back and expect everything to be the same. And yet, you know, we'll, we'll drop this for a couple weeks. You know, we'll spend a couple weeks without, without really praying outside of meals or, or chasing after God's word. Or, you know, we'll just take some time off. And we can't do that. We said for better or for worse, when you buried yourself in baptism and allowed God to raise you up, there was no like two week off clause. <laughs> you know, you said, I will be, we're united like a marriage. We're together and I'm going to love you and I'm going to love what you have to say. And so we've got to be able to do that. We've got to be able to chase after him. And the best way to do that, the best way to love God's word is to put it into practice and see what happens. You guys look at James 1, 22. This is one a lot of you guys are going to be familiar with because we love to talk about it. James 1, 22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who intently who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If you have a relationship that's all talk, 
that's not going to be a deep relationship. The depth of our relationship comes when we go through things together, when we, when we spend time and, and put our love into practice. That's when you really get deep relationships. And, and I see that every time I come here, you know, for, for CMU or I come for family vacation, every time I come, there are people that I only see a couple times a year. But when I see them, there is a depth of feeling there and there's an excitement there because we put in work together, right? Like we prayed together and we sweat together and we, you know, we, we fought for souls together and I confessed to these people and I, you know, I shared my life with them. We did more than just talk. We lived our lives together and poured out and, and were vulnerable with each other. And because we did stuff together, because we put our love to work even when there are gaps, even when there's times where we feel separated or we, we have trouble being together, there, that love is still there. There's a depth of love there that's not there in my other relationships. And there, the importance, that, that's just as true with God's word as it, as it is with anything else. We've got to put it to work or it's not going to feel alive. You know, there's a book um, called A Million Ways to Die. And I, I please read that. Like if you have any chance at all, it is awesome. It's by Rick James. And I always say in our class, not that Rick James. Um, but that would be shocking. Um, but God could do it. You never know. Um, but... In there, he, one of the things he talks about is he talks about living by God's word as our daily bread. And he says the, the bread of life stays fresh as long as you continue to rip chunks off of it and share it with others. Right? You ever get like bread and you just leave it for like you cut off a slice and you leave it for long enough. It gets all dry and crusty and nasty. You know, and, and if you don't put God's word to work, if the, one of the worst things we can do in our relationship with God is to go to church every single Sunday and listen to every sermon and pay completely attention and take notes furiously and, and pay attention to every word out of the preacher's mouth and do nothing with it. That is one of the worst things you can do because it gets crusty and it gets old. And you hear a sermon and you're like, I've heard this before. Didn't he preach this like three years ago? You know, or like, I've, I've heard this so many times. You, you know, you read a scripture and you're like, oh, this again. You know, it, it just gets old and dry and powerless. You strip the power from it. You've wasted your time. It's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. Because you're not using it for its intended purpose. But if we put his word to work, if we live out what it says and we put it into practice, it stays fresh and real and you change. And so every time you come back to an old scripture that you've heard a thousand times, it's cool because the scripture is the same, but you're not. If you are the same person you were last year and you come to the same scripture again, it's not going to have more power. You've used that up, or you haven't, and you've just let it dry up and, and rot. If you keep using it and you keep changing, then it's going to mean something different to you when you come back to it. You have new things to learn because you've grown, and there are going to be truths in there that you couldn't appreciate before that you appreciate now. We've got to keep it fresh. We've got to keep working with it. You know, it, um, and there's a, a ton of verses. I'm going to have to go through them quick. Um, but there's a ton of verses about what we can do to, to keep this love of the word alive. Right? We've got to share it with other people. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now that you've fallen in love, one of the best things you can do is to help others fall in love with the word as well. 
Come to them and share the things that you've studied. Talk to them about it. Make that a daily topic of conversation. Talk about that before you talk about the football game or the last thing you bought, right? Or the, the last show you watched. Make that the thing you talk about first. Make that a regular part of your conversations. That doesn't come naturally to me, right? Like I'm, if I see a funny show or a clip on YouTube or, or whatever, like it is so natural for me to, to throw that on on Facebook or to share it with someone or to, send, to text it to somebody. Yeah, like I've got a thing with Kenny, you're right, and, and we both, we cannot stand cheesy church signs or like cheesy church slogans. It drives us crazy. We've got a church at our, you know, in our city that's prayer conditioned and, and answers an email and like all these things. It's like, it drives us crazy. And so every time I see one of those, I send it to Kenny. I don't think twice. I just instantly take a picture, send it to Kenny. It does not come that naturally for me to share God's word unless I really make an effort to do it. But once I do, the fruit of it just kind of like reinforces itself. It's awesome. Your relationships get deeper and, and you find that your, your, your conversations are so much more encouraging. And people actually look forward to talking to you in a way that they don't with others. And, and it's awesome. And so we've got to share that love with others. That's the first thing we can do with this word. We can use it to teach and rebuke and correct. This is a tricky one. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17 says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, the word of God, which is able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. And then it says that famous verse, all scripture is God breathed, right? And we know what that means now. The same power that created the universe is in here. It is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews says, it, says, it describes it as spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We've got to be guiding and leading each other, not pushing each other, right? Not forcing people, not you know, beating them into submission and making them do it or shaming them into it, but taking what we've learned and what we've been inspired to do and including others in that. And allowing our, our testimony and our, in the word of God to correct them and to train them and to disciple them, to, to bring them along with us. And when you do that, again, his word comes alive. When you read something and then somebody else is struggling with, that, with whatever it was talking about and you share that with them and you see that breathe life into them and you see that like be the solution they were looking for. You know, when you come to somebody and they feel worthless absolutely worthless like no one could love them and you share you know 10 scriptures that you've studied and that you've learned about God's from God's word about how he's loved the seemingly unlovable and how he he loves us over and over again relentlessly and how he forgives us no matter what and how he can take a guy who was taking his people and throwing them into jail like Saul was and 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 applauding when they got killed and say this is my God that's going to be my servant on this earth and I love him I'm going to redeem him Right. And then you go to them and you say, what do you have on that? When was the last time you locked up a Christian for their faith? When was the last time you held their coat while someone stoned them to death? Right. And, and they look at that and they say, I've never done that. Right. <laughs> I've never done anything that bad. You're right. You know, and I've had friends that say, I will burst into flames when I walk in the door of that church. And when you take them by the hand and you guide them in there and they experience love and community and, and connection and, and the love of someone who knows them and loves them anyway. It brings life to this thing. It's not just a book anymore. It's, it, you see how it's the breath of life in somebody's nostrils, and it keeps it fresh, right? And so, you know, again, going back to Psalm 119, 
It says, uh, in verse, starting in verse 9, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so, and then in verse 15, he says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. 